0: This morning, we are going to continue and really uh, finish uh, talking about politics. Can I get an amen? How many of you are sick of hearing about politics? How's come this side of the room was more adamant about it than that side of the room? This side was all like, yeah, and this side was all like, what, politics? Is there an election? Um. (laughs) I was originally going to do this four weeks, but folks, really enough is enough. I'm going to finish up today and uh, really talk with you about some things that, that are not going to be new to you. Uh, I laid in bed last night. I, on, on, on Saturday nights, I lay down in bed, and I can't fall asleep because I start preaching the sermon 150 times over in my head. And then I start stressing, thinking, did I forget something? What do I need to do? Oh, no, did I make that? Oh, did I do this? Okay, yeah. And And so I lay there, and I think about it. So last night when the cubs were getting slaughtered, my goodness... Cubbies? Breaking my heart. But anyway, I'm a bandwagoner. I don't really care if they lose. Life goes on for me. But you Cub fans, sorry for you. That was bad. Um, If that happened to the Colts, I would not show up at church. (laughs) Wait, that has happened to the Colts a lot, hasn't it? Anyway, I was laying in bed, and I, I, I told April, just kind of out of the blue, I said, I have the potential of really making a lot of people mad tomorrow. And she says, you've done well so far, honey. (laughs) So I want you to raise your right hand with me this morning. Raise your right hand. Repeat after me. I love my pastor. pastor. And I promise I I won't leave the church. church. (laughs) At the end of Pastor Appreciation Month, thank you. Some of you will wait till November, won't you? You'll say, okay, November 1st, I'm out of there. So we've talked about the importance of praying for our leadership. I had several people come up to me and say, Pastor, you stepped on my toes. And I told all of them that's my job, and I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm not. Secondly, we talked about the importance of the church to attain a watchman mentality. Uh, to be able to to be the one who, who gives out the cry when it needs to be heard and the importance of the church to speak instead of drawing back like people want us to. Amen? Uh, and I had other people say, Pastor, you didn't just step on my toes, you stood on my toes. Today I'm going to stomp on your toes. Just kidding. We are going to be talking about voting godly principles i'm going to share some principles with you it's six six questions we have to ask ourselves as we go into the voting booth here in about what is it nine days something like that six questions we need to ask ourselves really there's probably more questions that we need to ask ourselves than what i'm going to share with you today but these are some that i felt were very important but before i get to those can i share a word of encouragement with you first a word of peace how many of you would like a word of peace this morning turn your bibles to mark chapter six And I'm going to just share from this briefly, and then we're going to get into our questions. Uh, You know, I am just exactly like you. I have my political preferences, and I have my opinions, and and, uh, I have watched the debates. I have listened to social media and the news and everybody else, and and, uh, uh, I'm afraid, folks. I'm afraid one of these two crazies is going to get elected. (laughs) It's going to happen, though, okay? One of the two crazies is going to get elected. The third crazy don't have a chance. So the two crazies that are up right now, really, they're one of those two crazies is going to be our president. And I know that there are a lot of people that feel that way. And so they take sides and they get really adamant about their side because they say the lesser of two evils. And the reality is, is the lesser of two evils, you still get evil. You know what I'm saying? Um, But, but we have, we have to have some faith and hope in the midst of all this. Okay. We just do. Uh, folks, it's nuts. It's crazy. It's, it's crazier than I've ever seen it in my almost 44 years of existence. And I know uh, those of you that have lived longer would say this is really bad. But this morning, I want to give you just a little word of peace and remind you that God is in control of all this. Mark, Mark chapter 6, look at that, verse, beginning in verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars, because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out. Because they all saw him and were terrified, immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid." Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. My my word of encouragement to you is Jesus is coming. It's okay. He sees, he knows, and he's going to show up. I promise you. He is not ignorant of what's taking place in the political landscape of our nation. He is very involved. Doesn't mean he gives one approval over the other, doesn't Jesus, listen, God is going to work in this situation. He is. But as we look at this, it says, He climbed in the boat with them and the wind died down. That's a good thing, right? They were completely amazed. For they had not understood about the loaves. What? Their hearts were hardened. They were amazed that Jesus calmed the wind and the waves and that he had walked to them on water. They were amazed at that. But the only reason they were amazed at that was because they hadn't understood about the loaves and had allowed their hearts to be hardened. Stop and think about that for a second. This took place immediately after the feeding of the 5,000 where Jesus told them, said, hey, the disciples said, there's a whole bunch of people here. It's getting late. They're hungry. And Jesus said, go feed them. You give them something to eat. They said, we don't have any food. And we don't have enough money to go to town and and buy food for everybody. There's no way we could do that. And Jesus said, give me what you have. And a boy comes and he's got five loaves and two fishes, right? And Jesus gives thanks and he breaks it and hands it to his disciples. And they have people sit down in groups and they begin to pass them out. And pretty soon they're done. And how much was left over? There were 12 baskets left over. Why 12? There was one for each disciple. Hear hear, hear me when I say this. The disciples saw themselves as poor, not knowing that they were rich. And Jesus wanted to teach them a lesson about His provision, about His authority, and about His power. And so He allowed them the test out on the waters, and the only reason they were amazed... When the wind and waves died down is because they hadn't really gathered and understood the message of the loaves. Today, you and I folks live in a nation that doesn't see itself as poor. It sees itself as rich and not knowing that it's pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Amen? Amen? Amen. And we are much like those those disciples in that boat that are oaring away and rowing away fighting against the wind of our culture and pushing against the current of our culture and constantly rowing and tired and doing all that they can. And they were shocked because they had allowed the wind and the waves to get the best of them. When Jesus came and calmed the wind and the waves, they were shocked and amazed. But they didn't have to be shocked and amazed if they had just believed the last thing He had done. Isn't that good? Yeah. Yeah. Folks, what has God ever done in your life? What has He ever done in the, in the life of this nation? Is He able... He is able. And I promise you this, Jesus up on that mountainside, that hillside, looking out over the water. Pastor Don uh, taught something similar to this from a passage, a little different take on it to our ministers back in May. And then I think David Delp also hinted at this passage back in February when he was with us. But, but when you picture Jesus up on that mountainside, that hillside, looking out over the sea, whether he could see visibly or he could see in the spirit, it doesn't matter. He could see. And he went. Amen? Amen. Before this is all over, Jesus is going to show up. Yeah. Ultimately, I hope, I hope he splits the eastern sky and just shows up. Amen? Yeah. Wouldn't that be good? Yeah. You know what? I vote Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Try to rig that election. <laughs> Folks, he's, he's king of kings and lord of lords. Yeah. He's going to come back and he's going to establish his, his kingdom on this earth. The lamb and the lion will lay down together in peace. The child will lead them. We, we know this. We see it in the scripture. Trust me, folks. Child of God, a believer in Jesus Christ, don't get caught up in the wind and the waves. Do what you have to do. You say, what do I have to do? Our rowing against the current today that I want to talk to you about is our responsibility to resist it. They had to fight the wind. They had to fight the waves until Jesus came into the situation. We have a responsibility to try to keep the boat upright. Amen? Amen. We've got a responsibility to do that. And you say, Pastor, well, well, how is that? Well, for you and I, we've talked about praying for our leaders. We've talked about our voice, and our voice being right now at this time, being our vote. And so today, I want to give you six things, some things to consider, some questions to ask ourselves, When we go in to cast our vote, some things that your pastor that I believe scripturally are very, very important to God, or at least has an element that God is worried about, not worried about, concerned about, not really concerned about, that God thinks, well, God knows is important. Amen? Lord, help me, because I know they're probably going to hate me through this. Question number one. Questions I'm going to ask myself when I go in to vote. And it's not just presidential folks. It's Congress. It's Senate. It's anything that has influence over our government. Amen? Every part of it. Will this candidate uphold the Constitution? Will this candidate that I'm looking at and considering uphold the Constitution? Proverbs 22, 28 says, Do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your forefathers. Do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your forefathers. Now that's a reference to a boundary stone that was set up. It was set up as an inheritance, as property that was owned. It was a heritage. It was something that was going to be passed down from generation to generation. It was a property stone. You don't move it. Don't be uh, dishonest. Don't manipulate that which is is heritage for your own gain. Don't do that. Folks, today there is a movement in our political system of people who would desire to allow our uh, constitution and our government be subject to the United Nations. They want to give up our sovereignty, folks. We need to, if we are interested in voting for a candidate, we must find out what their stance and their opinion is about our nation on the world stage. Because there are some who don't care about the United States being sovereign. They want us to subject ourselves to the United Nations. Listen, you say, Pastor, that doesn't seem like a very good moral reason for us to really be considering to vote. Do you forget how this nation was established? Do you forget what it was, why we came over here to begin with? Freedom of religion, so that there wouldn't be a government religion set over us to force us to worship a certain way. This was allowing us to serve and seek and pursue Christ ourselves. In a bunch of farmers with pitchforks and muskets in the French defeated a superpower. Listen, folks, the French aren't coming to I told Alyssa the other day, she said, we need to start a revolution. I said, you think the French are going to back you up? French aren't coming. You can forget that. My little revolutionary. These things are not supposed to be moved. So many nations have had so many different constitutions and governing bills over the last 200 years. There's some that think ours is outdated. Folks, we need to get past our opinions about our founding fathers. Were they perfect? Absolutely not. But many of the men that signed our constitution were pastors themselves. Did some own slaves? Probably, yeah. But what about the great progression and growth? The same government that that used to have slaves in it was the same one that set them free. I mean, come on, folks. Let's move past it. Let's let's not throw out our constitution. It was established upon godly principles for godly purposes. There were checks and balances in our government that were established for the right reason. Even though our, our, our uh, Supreme Court decided to overstep some boundaries over the last few years. We've got to have those checks and balances. We need leadership who understands that and will govern accordingly. Amen. Secondly. Secondly. Will this candidate stand against abortion? Can I be honest with you for just a second? Argument that I'm so sick of hearing that's only come out in the last... I've only heard it probably in the last five weeks, uh, multiple different angles where people who support... um, uh, God, please help me not... Support a certain political agenda who who will attack the church to support abortion. And here's what they do. The church uh, is, is judgmental. The church is hateful. The church is uh, too wrapped up in taking care of her own needs. She won't help the poor. She won't do this. She won't do that. And, and attack the church and say, well, you say you're pro-life when really you don't like the decisions that a life you save may make down the road. Listen, folks, it's ridiculous. It's to stand there and say, because of your imperfections, I support the death of babies. Yeah, there are judgmental people in the church. But listen, folks, there are judgmental people in the world. There are people that are judged. It doesn't matter who you are. You're going to deal with judgmental people. I'm telling you folks today that God is not happy with the murder of babies. He's not happy with illicit sex and people who are out of control sexually who get themselves pregnant and then decide later after a drunken stupor rumble in the sheets with some man decide later I think I'm going to get an abortion. God is not pleased with the whole picture. Amen. Folks, God didn't, didn't give us the ability to, read, to reproduce to behave this way. He didn't. And, and, and it's, it's a travesty. It's something that unfortunately too many churches and too many Christians have thrown into a gray area. And I will stand here as your pastor. And you, if you don't like this, that's fine with me. I love you. I'm not saying this in hate. I have known and seen the destruction that this has on people's lives. If you are in the church and you've had to deal with this, and you've had to experience this, experience this whether it's been in your own life or a family member's life, please understand, I don't hate you for this. I know that you have endured much pain and much agony because of it. You firsthand know that it's not just flesh. It's a heartbeat. There's a heartbeat. There's lungs breathing in and out, fluid developing and growing. There's blood pulsating through its little body. It has fingers and toes, folks. It's a life. There are people who will say that it's okay because we've got to protect the life of the mother. I get it. Uh, I understand and I, I hope and pray nobody I know ever has, has to make that decision. It's an awful thing. It it seems like a valid argument. And there's an argument that says abortion is okay in the case of rape or incest. Again, I can't imagine how difficult it is to have a life inside of you that you didn't choose. And I understand the fear of a mother to think that she's going to have to look at that child and see her rapist the rest of her life. And folks, there have been enough accounts of people that didn't abort a rape baby who have loved that child and realized that this is not that person. The, the love of a mother is way more powerful. The love of a mother is way, way more powerful. There is a growing movement that says abortion is okay if the child the woman is carrying has a birth defect. Folks, I've, I've experienced this one myself firsthand. When Alyssa was in the womb, and I know you've heard me say this a thousand times, and the doctors said she would not make it, and if she did live, she would best be a vegetable and she would be very disabled, and we were encouraged to abort the baby. Uh, a man who, who, who was godless and thought that he meant well set me down one day and encouraged me to abort my unborn child because just think of all the pressure and stress of raising a special needs child, and then after you're gone, then this child will be a burden on the community. But God. God healed that little baby in the womb. Got a beautiful profile picture of Alyssa in the womb, her little face with nothing but black behind her where there's nothing but amniotic fluid. They said, can we do an amniocentesis? I said, absolutely not. They said, why? I said, because God put that fluid in there and you're not taking it out. Folks, can you imagine? I love our sunshine class. I love the special needs folks that we have in our church. Could you imagine our church without a Larry Verdon or without an Amy Herzog, without a Jody or a Scotty? Could you imagine without a Greg Muser or anybody else that's been born uh, born special where our culture will say is defective, not defective, special, Amen. different, and that's okay, beautiful, awesome. Amy gives the best hugs. I don't know if you know this. <laughs> folks, can you imagine... But yet we take God out of it and we say, yeah, but this, that. Listen, there's, there's movement even to do it just because they decide they don't want the child or they, they want a different sex or so on and so forth. I just want to take a moment and, and, and talk to you briefly about the outcome of nations that have embraced this type of theology. Ancient Egypt. Pharaoh was raised up. A Pharaoh who didn't know Moses was raised up and felt like the children of Israel had, were too many in number and they needed to, to, to kill every male son that's born of, a, of somebody out of out of the Jews. And so they would do that and they would cast the child into the Nile River. Into their God. A sacrifice to their God. Yet we know that God raised Moses up. And we know that that Moses, it's estimated that he was in Egypt for 40 years and then in the desert for 40 years, which meant 80 years after the slaughter of children was accepted by a government, God made an open show of them and defeated them openly. Within 80 years. What about King Herod? He ordered that all male children up to the age of 2 years old be killed. And 70 to 75 years later, Jerusalem is invaded and the temple destroyed. Folks, we are 43 years in currently. We are headed toward judgment if this nation doesn't repent and turn back from the murder of the unborn baby. God will never honor a nation that embraces the murder of the innocent. Proverbs 31 8 says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Proverbs 6 verses 16 and 17. There are six things the Lord hates. Let me stop for a second. Some people will take Proverbs 31 8 and say, Pastor, that's talking about the poor. It is talking about the poor as well. But folks, there is not anybody that can't speak for themselves any greater than a baby. Proverbs 6, verses 16 and 17. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to Him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. You can't find anybody any more innocent than a baby inside of a womb in Deuteronomy 18.10 it says let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire, these were those who were casting their baby into the fire putting them on the arms of Molech, this God and allowing this brass God in a fire their child to burn in this thing's arms and they would do that as a gift to this God today we are sacrificing our children to adultery to fornication, to uncontrolled sexual lusts and when we get pregnant we say ah let's just go ahead and and just get rid of the fetus. God is not pleased with our actions. And it's important for the people of God, the children of God to step up and to see what evil is evil and understand what evil is evil and, and, and vote accordingly. Will this candidate, doesn't matter who they are, Republican, Democrat, whatever, do they support abortion or do they stand against it? Third, Will this candidate stand against gay marriage? I know this is a touchy one and I know this is going to tick people off. But folks, listen. I have people that I love dearly. I have friends. I have family members that live this lifestyle out. We've had many conversations. We've prayed prayers together. We understand where we stand on these issues. But God made them man and woman together in the garden. The book of Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. The institution of marriage was established by God. It's that simple. One of the earliest things. You can go anywhere in the world, folks. You can go to an, I promise you, you can go to an unnamed people group somewhere that's never seen anybody from the outside on some deserted island, somewhere in the Pacific somewhere. And what you're going to find is you're going to find these things. You're going to find some form of marriage, some form of a God that they serve, and some form of blood sacrifice. Why? Because it was all established in the Garden of Eden. All of it was established in the beginning. And it's been carried down and it's been perverted in different forms and different ways throughout different uh, cultures throughout the world and all over the world. Homosexuality is not a new, homosexuality is not a new issue. Sodom and Gomorrah, we see that Abraham comes across there. And folks, today there are a lot of people who will say that Sodom and Gomorrah were not destroyed for homosexuality. They were destroyed because they had lacked hospitality. That's the big one right now. But hold on a second, before we get too high and mighty, God didn't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for homosexuality either. So what did he destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for? All of it. All of it, folks. All of the sin. God hates and despises adultery as much as he hates homosexuality. He hates fornication as much as he hates homosexuality. All homosexuality to us is, it's a sign for a nation to stop and go. The depths of our depravity have grown to the point where God's going to deal with us. And we have embraced this, folks. We defend it. Uh, people will argue and fight over it. Uh, they've picked apart Leviticus chapter 18 instead of embracing that list of what is described as sexually immoral. You know, we see this over and over. We ignored even that, that Israel herself had gone through her own depravity in Judges chapter 20. We see where the same thing that happened in Sodom and Gomorrah was now happening in Israel. Folks, homosexuality is not a new thing. But the fact that it's increased so much is a sign of the depravity of our culture. James 1 says this in verses 14 and 15, But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Folks, the the sign of full grown sin in a nation is homosexuality. There's only one thing left on Leviticus chapter 18 in that list, and that's bestiality. And it's under, it's under the surface right now. You'll see it come more within the next few years, I promise. Because a nation, once it embraces depravity, will only get worse. We are no longer at a temptation stage here in America, but we are teetering on the precipice of full-grown sin that gives birth to death as a nation. So it's vitally important that, that we vote... Uh, officials in that have the same understanding we at least close to the same understanding. Folks, we got to do something. Once marriage was redefined, it was a huge step of removing the public shame of the sin. And what happens when the watchman does not cry out and warn of the dangers of our decisions? Sin is embraced, shame is removed, and we are preparing ourselves for a woe from God. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter." Because I can see what's coming, I need to vote accordingly. And folks, listen. Whatever you do, do not hate anyone that is living out a homosexual lifestyle. Please don't do that. Dear Lord, don't do that. If anything, they need our love. Have you ever ate dinner with somebody that, that lives out a homosexual lifestyle? Have you ever sit down and had a conversation? Have Have you ever ministered to them in some way? Have you ever listened to their complaints and their hurts? You need to. These are real people with real issues. They aren't castaways. God loves them very, very much. And He can set them free from their sin, just like I hope He's setting all of us free from our sin. Amen? Because you who are without sin cast the first stone. We don't need to be stone throwers. We need to be love givers. Amen? Amen. But Pastor Carlos said something to me uh, going on a couple of years ago now. She said, I don't get this. I said, What? The well, folks, we need to celebrate marriage, traditional marriage, for what it is again. Everybody celebrates gay marriage. Man, celebrate traditional marriage. Celebrate it. Reward it. Live it out in your life. But Pastor Carlos said this to me. She goes, she goes, you know, today we have, we have homosexual people begging for the right to be married. This was prior to it being legalized. Begging for the right to be married. And yet we have Christian people who are just shacking up. People who say they're Christian, just shacking up. And then the shack ups will point their finger at the homosexuals. Listen, uh, fornication is still sin, folks. It's gross sin. And it's, it's, it's on the same level as adultery. It's on the same level as lust. It's on the same level as homosexuality. Stop fornicating. Get married. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Marriage is a beautiful yeah. thing. Yeah. Get married. Yeah. 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 It's great. I'm happy. <laughs> I'm a happy little husband. Well, little kind of exaggeration, but I'm a happy guy. <laughs> Lord said, I will bless you with a wife, and he sure enough did. She had to convince me a little bit, but we got there. (laughs) Fourth question, will this candidate lead the nation back to being fiscally responsible? I've said last week that this is a moral issue, because if we continue to borrow money that we have no intention of paying back, we are thieves. This is a biblical principle, and right now we are making ourselves slave to the lender. Our nation has lust issues in more ways than one. We lust after money and have gotten ourselves into a dangerous situation. Proverbs 3 says we need to honor God with our wealth and with our first fruits. Then our barns will be full and our vats will overflow with new wine. The problem is not that we've honored God. Instead, we've dishonored God because we want uh, full vats and full barns, but we want to do it with somebody else's money. We've got to make sure that we are being fiscally responsible. I, will be, I believe that we'll be blessed when we begin to honor God with our finances again. Uh, step one in doing this, become fiscally responsible and start to pay down our ridiculous $19 trillion debt. You can't be happy about that, folks. If the person you're going to vote for has a history of being a money spender, don't vote for him. Amen? Amen? Fifthly, remember I only got six, so we'll, we'll get out. Trust me, these last few go quick. Will this candidate be able to find balance with entitlement programs? Everybody say balance. balance. It's a double edged sword. Entitlement programs are important because they're necessary for some. Amen? Uh, <laughs> let me just say this. I've said it before, but folks. It's the church's responsibility to feed the sick, house the homeless. Our problem is, is we gave that away to the government a long time. Or the government came and stole it, one or the other, I don't know. But it's important to meet the needs of people who need them, amen? Right? And folks, there are so many different situations, and it is easy. Do you hate it when people lump us all together as Christians and judge all of us with one opinion? How do you think a person who needs some financial aid and some help feels when, when you or I lump all of them together and say, well, they're all lazy and they all won't work and they all won't, 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 won't. <laughs> shut up. Don't know. Don't do that. Don't do that, folks. There are people who are in bad circumstances that are trying very hard that need these entitlements. Amen? They're necessary and they're important. That's why I said balance. Because this is a double edged sword. You know, it has to be balanced. Here's the thing people that hate faith based organizations, somebody with a socialistic mindset and point of view, they hate the church. Here's what happens they hate the church. They say, We need to tax the church. We need to quit it because all this money's in the church. We need to start taxing the churches. Here's what happens. They start taxing the churches. They start taxing all of these uh, non-profit organizations. Let's talk about who those nonprofit profit organizations. The ones that put the pictures on Facebook, they take pictures of people who have abused their position in, in, in public eye as ministry and have mansions and planes. They put those pictures up. The ones they don't put up are the ones that are working every week, scraping by in the local mission. What they don't put on there are the food kitchens and the food pantries. What they don't put on there are the the housing programs and the family training programs and the things that are all faith-based that are trying to help people with medical needs and help. And all they don't put, oh, but we need to tax the churches. What's going to happen when you tax all these little organizations? You shut them down. Well, I think the church doesn't do enough for people, and so we need to tax them and shut I don't see any atheist groups going out and starting food pantries and, 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 and housing missions and in hospital, atheist hospitals. Do you? Shut up! stop it that's stupid we've all we've got to quit fighting over these ignorant things listen folks we need some entitlements to help people because the church has fallen behind and we haven't done our jobs like we should but the government some of these programs are good the problem is is they are not regulated as they need to be able-bodied people need to work Able-bodied people. Yeah, I get it. I understand. If, if all they can get is a certain job that they can't live off of and make a living for, yes, give them what they need for their family and for their kids. But folks, we cannot have this continued hand over fist. Folks, listen. Today, uh, the way our government has set things up, people are, are penalized if they become married. They lose their support. And so they don't get married. They just shack up. And then they have two different addresses. So they can continue getting what they get. And then all that folks, listen, it is a mess and needs to be fixed. So that the resources are there for the ones who need it and so that it doesn't become so big that the working part of America falls apart trying to pay for all of it. Somebody that's got an idea for some entitlements to balance some things out and to help. Because I'm going to be honest with you, it's an important thing, but at the same time, in some way, at sometimes, it's an abuse system The Bible says that if a man does not work, he shall not eat. And God is really cool how he set this thing up. You can't go, but, you know, three days without water, but you can go 21 days without food. Here's the difference water you can find in a creek somewhere, water you can find in a pond someplace. Food you've got to work for. You've got to hunt, you've got to fish, you've got to. You've got to go find wild berries or something, or you just get a job. Amen? And, and here's the problem with entitlement sometimes, is we, we take away the natural, hear me now when I say this, and know it's said in love, we take away the natural consequence of lazy people. Sometimes their bellies need to be empty so they know, i got to work. No, my friend, you're not going to starve to death. You got 21 days. When's the last time you ate? (laughs) You ate yesterday. You got 19 days to live. Here's some water. I'll give you a drink of water. Go find some food. Get a job. You've got enough time in 21 days to, to work for a week, get a paycheck, and get some food. That's what hunger does for you. That's why God put it there. 21 days. You got 21. Mark that down. I got 21 days. Amen. And some of us bigger fellers might even be able to last longer. I'm thinking I could go 30 if I needed to. Can I just give you one more peeve of mine? I have seen too many parents stand behind their children like ISIS stands behind innocent victims. You say, what do you mean? I have seen lazy people who refuse to work, refuse to pay their bills, refuse to do what they're supposed to, and then when the power's shut off, get mad because I got kids in the house. How dare... You come and shut off my heat. I got kids. Well, then pay your bills. And if you have a mental disability or if you're physically not able to work, there's plenty of programs. Amen? But don't be able-bodied and spend your money on drugs and alcohol and burn the city down and then complain when they shut your electricity off. Kevin come home angry one day. We had... He worked with, I think, Wendell or somebody, and he'd come home in a foul mood. He'd worked all day, and I come home and and he just kind of was in a mood to fight. And I said, You know what? You apparently didn't work hard enough today. Why? So you got too much energy. Need me to find something for you to do around here? No. And then you better change your attitude. A good hard day's work can help you go home and put your feet up and it feels good, doesn't it? You don't want to go burn the city down when you'd had a hard day's work. Folks, let's get it together. None of this is in my notes. You can hate me for all this if you want to. I don't really care. It's important for us to. It's just truth. Amen. Pay your stinking bills. Amen. If you can't, I'll help you. If you've done everything you possibly can do, come see me. I help you. But don't waste it on booze and drugs and ignorance and not work. Anyway, what was I talking about? We need to elect somebody. Because God knows I can't find balance in any of this. God help somebody find balance in this. There are good people that need help, and I want them helped. There are lazy people who won't work that don't need it. They need to be hungry and get a job. That's that's that point. Lord Jesus. Don't let them go away. Lastly, last point, I promise. This one's nicer than the others. We need to vote and ask ourselves, will this candidate support Israel? Genesis 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. The Lord said had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I believe the blessing that is coming is coming because uh, the blessing that we've had is because we have loved the one who came out of Israel, the Messiah. Um, Now, as I say this, blessing Israel as a corrupt nation isn't going to trump or overcome, that was not a pun, by the way, (laughs) isn't going to overcome our current sin. Giving money to Israel isn't going to make us be blessed in our current disobedient rebellious condition, okay? Let's just understand that. Not any more than it will if you are a sinful, wretched liar and decide to put more money in the plate, is that going to save you from your sins? It's not going to save you. Um, But at the same time, a nation that is withdrawing from its ally there, who we have have supported because we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, We, we have been a Christian nation in the past, and we have served God, so we blessed His people. Today, our relationship with Israel is worse than it's ever been. It's worse than it has ever been. And again, just as I spoke about homosexuality a few minutes ago, this is a sign to us of the condition of our nation. Um, We need to elect leaders who understand the importance of of our ally there in the Middle East, the importance of the God we serve, and and bless them accordingly. Okay, And, And folks, we need to do that research ourselves. I know and I realize in closing this morning, I realize that the things I've talked to you about are going to lean a little bit more to a conservative side of things. Please don't expect me to say you have to vote a certain way. I'm not telling you that. I'm not promoting any candidate. I'm simply talking about biblical principles here. And these are things that as a believer should be important to us. And I realize there's probably a handful, maybe five other things that we could have talked about. But like I said, we are not going to endure this for four weeks. I am done today uh, with all of this. But but I encourage you and I challenge you to be prayerful. Uh, I challenge you to vote. Just as the video said that we, sh- we watched here a few minutes ago, there was a large, large number of e- evangelical Christians who refused to go vote in the last election because they did not want to vote for a Mormon. Folks, um, that's ignorance. We have got to be able to step out and vote for people. As I said before, I'm scared to death that one of these two is going to be president someday. But unfortunately, one of these two is going to be president someday. And Jesus is coming, folks. Don't stress. Don't whine. Don't be afraid. Be joyful. Listen, we have hope. There's a lot of things that need to be fixed. A lot of things that need to be worked on. Vote according to the leading of the Spirit. I love our nation. I I am grateful to have been born in this great nation. I am grateful for our freedoms. I'm grateful uh, for the men and women who have fought for these freedoms. I'm grateful for it. Some of my own families fought for these freedoms for me to be able to speak today. Uh, and I'm grateful for it. And folks, we don't want to lose that. We don't want to lose that. Vote. Amen. I won't preach about it next week. But vote. I will remind you next week, but I won't preach about it next week. Bow your heads with me. Father, we just thank you this day.